Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we'll examine the city of Denver's bid to be a host city for the 2026 FIFA World Cup in soccer and the potential economic and cultural benefits that could bring. And with Larimer County Hospitals reaching all-time peaks in capacity, we'll hear about the county's strategy for alleviating the strain on healthcare facilities and their staff. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Last month, Larimer County re-implemented an indoor mask mandate as a way of combating rising COVID cases and hospitalizations. That mandate is still in place as cases continue to climb and overwhelm hospitals in the county, some of which have been at or above capacity since the middle of August, according to the county's public health department. But with the COVID vaccine soon to be available for kids ages 5 through 11, booster shots rolling out for vaccinated adults, and the increasing availability of monoclonal antibody and other treatments, county health officials are optimistic about navigating this stage of the pandemic. Joining us now to talk about the county's latest COVID numbers and hospital capacity issues is Tom Gonzalez, Public Health Director for Larimer County. Tom, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me, Erin. When we last spoke in October, Larimer County had just put in place this new indoor mask mandate. Uh, The mandate said the county would have to meet four criteria for 21 consecutive days in order for it to lift. Could you briefly remind us of those criteria? Yes, there's the the four criteria. uh, Look at our case rate first. That's our seven-day case rate. And then it looks at our percent positivity, the number of patients uh, being treated for COVID-19 in the hospitals, and then a percent of our ICU utilization uh, within all of our ICUs. Okay. And where is Larimer County right now? Are they close to meeting those goals? Uh, out of the four or three, we're, we are not meeting. That's our seven-day case rate. We are now approaching 400 per 100,000. Our, our goal is under 300,000. Our COVID patients in the hospitals is, is over 100 at 111. And we would like to see that down to 65. Uh, so we're pretty high there. And then our percent IAC, ICU utilization is just over 100, 104% actually today, Aaron. And we'd like to see that at 90%. Okay. Yes, it was sort of a... Um... Not great milestone. Uh, last At the end of last week, um, Larimer County had 122 patients with COVID-19 in hospitals, and that's the same number as the peak in December of 2020. Is that right? It is, yes. Just a question, how can you be at 104% utilization? Yeah, we get that question a lot, Erin, and it really is our hospital's ability to double up rooms, ability to uh, find other areas in the hospital to to triage and provide uh, acute level uh, care. Uh, that's been quite a challenge. You know, hospitals can do that for a small period, maybe four or five days, and, and they're built to do that. But they've been at or above capacity since middle of August. 
that has been the real strain that they're the healthcare providers and and all those working in the hospital are stressed and they're fatigued. And I'm concerned as this continues to go on. What are you hearing from area hospitals about how they are coping with this surge? You know, Aaron, I, I think there is some excitement within the hospitals because of some treatment options we have and some other strategies within the hospitals. We are excited as well. First is a monoclonal antibody treatment. The state uh, has put in requests for FEMA teams to come uh, to uh, areas such as ours in the Northeast region and other areas in the state where they're really seeing uh, this uh, wave within the hospitals. So we are in talks right now of getting uh, a monoclonal uh, antibody center set up where we can treat 50 to 75 people a day uh, through the FEMA team in partnership with uh, the health department and uh, the hospital system. So that's exciting because we know that uh, the antibody treatment works. It prevents people from even going to the hospital if you get it early on in the uh, the uh, life cycle of the disease. So that's exciting. We're really working hard to get that in our community. Uh, we're hearing that uh, PVH is uh, doing monoclonal treatment in the emergency department, which is really exciting. And uh, they are say, keeping people out of the hospital there. Also, we're getting uh, information that um, other FEMA teams will be coming to the area, being deployed to assist our hospitals with creating additional space in hospitals. And these medical teams could be here this week to help with step-down care. So I, 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 we're excited that there's these other options uh, within the hospitals so we can free up beds, decompress the hospital so they can treat all medical situations. Let me ask you about the um, treatment center for monoclonal antibodies, because a lot of people don't really know what this looks like. You don't, it doesn't require that you be in a hospital bed for this, right? Correct. Yeah. You, you, if you test positive and you meet the eligibility, you would come to the uh, center and it's, it's going to be a hybrid. You can either do it through uh, IV or you can do it sub-Q that before shot. So it's really up to the individual what treatment uh, they would prefer. Uh, there, It is time. You have to be there for at least an hour for observation. But yeah, this is a, a, a treatment uh, early on uh, when you're diagnosed and and uh, you're, it gives your body those, those uh, kind of laboratory-produced antibodies that can help you fight uh, the, the disease and prevent you from going to the hospital. We're speaking with Larimer County Public Health Director Tom Gonzalez. Tom, there are a couple of newer developments in the way of vaccines. Um, one is that the Pfizer vaccine has now been approved and is now available for children ages 5 to 11. How do you anticipate that? would move the needle in the right direction in terms of slowing the spread of COVID? Oh, we're real excited about the five to 11 year olds becoming eligible. Uh, already our clinics are uh, full as well as our other providers. And the, and the real key here for everyone is our children are many times very asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, but they can spread the virus through the respiratory droplets. We've had many cases where children coming to home in the household, spreading it to, to others and, and those folks becoming ill and going to the hospital. So this is an opportunity to uh, protect our children as well as protect others through the vaccination. It's really important to know uh, that the vaccine efficacy on younger adults is extremely high. Our breakthrough, those folks that are vaccinated that still 
uh, develop the disease is very low for younger people. So this is going to be an effective strategy. Businesses in Larimer County had been able to apply for an exemption to the indoor mask order. Is that still the case? It is not. That has been removed from the public health order. There's uh, some concerns uh, from uh, our community. We listened to the community. Uh, the chambers met and we're trying to find some possible solutions. They continue to meet, but right now that is not available in the order. There are some uh, outlined uh, exemptions within the order, such as if it's a medical reason. And then there's a list of uh, like performing arts, stuff like that. So anybody can refer to the public order or health order and see what those listed uh, exemptions are. But currently there aren't any uh, exemptions uh, for businesses and there isn't a program at this time. Well, another uh, newish development is the availability of booster shots for adults, which can address the issue of waning immunity that does seem to happen with older folks. What is Larimer County doing to ensure that these are widely available, that people who want a booster dose can find an appointment? Yeah, the boosters are exciting as well. And it's just uh, uh, Dr. France with the state health department just sent out information that anybody 18 years and older in Colorado uh, that has uh, is eligible for the booster if it's been six months from both M- the mRNA vaccine or two months from J&J. So really anybody listening may be eligible to get a booster and we highly recommend getting the booster. And we have those at all our clinics at the health department uh, and all of our providers, our pharmacies, the hospital systems, uh, your, your primary care physician, they, you should be able to get that booster relatively easy and we are already at 12% of our population has received the booster here in Larimer County. We believe that's an effective strategy in keeping people out of the hospital as well. Is it p- possible or foreseeable that more stringent protective measures might be needed? It sounds like the mask order will remain in place. Um, we know some businesses have been able to apply for an exemption to that. Do you anticipate changes there um, potentially or other public health orders if things continue on their current trajectory? Right now, we're putting all our efforts into uh, these strategies we're talking about with treatment, the monoclonal antibodies. We're also uh, really have our eye on these antiviral pills, uh, seeing, uh, sounds like they're being in the trials runs, very effective to see if FDA will give approval, emergency authorization approval for those. So we're really working on strategies on how to decompress our hospitals with the FEMA teams, the antibody treatment, and we're looking at these antiviral pills and uh, other strategies there right now. I think that is the most effective way um, versus putting more mandates on. Not to say, who knows, but right now, all of our efforts are in these strategies to decompress the hospitals. And and I think that the community needs to just understand that uh, if you're not vaccinated, please go talk to your uh, primary doctor, your um, trusted healthcare professional and have a conversation with them. Again, we are seeing in ICU, 90% of those uh, people are unvaccinated in the ICU that have the very severe symptoms. Uh, if you can prevent that from a vaccine, please have that conversation with your, your trusted medical provider. Well, to wrap up, uh, colder weather is sort of here. Um, We've got the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays all just ahead. What guidance are you recommending for people to keep themselves and their families healthy and safe? 
Well, first and foremost, always wash hands. Uh, when, you know, if you're going over to visit a friend, wash hands first. Uh, make sure your the basic sanitary precautions or hand sanitizer. If you're indoors in large groups, please wear a face covering. Uh, they minimize the spread of the droplets. Uh, if you're eligible to get a booster, let's get it. Uh, and just again, be cautious. We want people to enjoy the holidays, but just remember the strategies on pre preventing the spread of the virus. So you or your friends or loved ones, um, don't, don't contract it. And, and certainly we don't want them in the hospital. Tom Gonzalez is Larimer County's Director of Public Health. Tom, thank you so much for talking with us today. Uh, thank you for having me again, Erin. As Tom mentioned, having the vaccine available now to kids ages 5 through 11 is a key step in the fight against COVID-19. But many people have questions about vaccinating their children. KUNC is collaborating with America Amplified to find answers to your questions about the vaccine. And we have one of those answers today. Patrick asked, what testing has been done to ensure that when a prepubescent child is given an mRNA-based vaccine, that their eventual maturation is unaffected, including sterility and other issues. Dr. Shira Abils, an assistant clinical professor of medicine at UC San Diego Health, has the answer. She writes, Thank you for asking this question. This concern was also expressed by adults. And to take these concerns seriously, researchers studied whether there was any impact on reproductive health in adults who got COVID vaccines. These studies have all shown that the vaccines do not impact reproductive health in adults. And there's no reason to think they would cause any long-term issues in children. These vaccines are in the body for only a very short time for the sole purpose of training your immune system to recognize the virus that causes COVID-19. On the other hand, children have definitely suffered from long-term effects of the virus itself with long COVID. The vaccine, in fact, offers protection from long COVID. Dr. Abiles goes on to add that mRNA vaccines have been studied for various diseases, influenza, Zika, Ebola, to name a few. And before the COVID pandemic, researchers were looking at mRNA vaccines as the future of vaccines because of many advantages they offer, including their safety profiles and that they could be developed quickly. They simply do a great job at training the immune system to recognize part of the virus. And there is no reason to think that children will be impacted in any other way in the long run. We want to hear what questions you have. Is there more you would like to know regarding the COVID vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds? Submit your questions at KUNC.org and we'll send back your answers. And a reminder, the best person to talk to when you do have questions is your own healthcare provider. The city of Denver is vying for the chance to be one of 10 U.S. cities to host games in the 2026 FIFA World Cup. That's a big opportunity for economic activity. In a moment, we'll explore the argument for Denver as a host city. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. The 2026 Men's FIFA World Cup is set to take place in 16 cities across North America. 
Well, Canada and Mexico will each host games in three cities, the United States will be hosting games in 10, and Denver is one of 17 U.S. cities vying for one of those spots. While U.S. cities on the shortlist like Los Angeles, Dallas, and Atlanta boast newer billion-dollar soccer stadiums, Denver can claim a central location, good weather, and efficient transportation systems. All that plus a burgeoning interest in the sport of soccer across the state. For more on Denver's bid to be a host city for the 2026 Men's FIFA World Cup, we're joined by Matthew Payne, executive director of the Denver Sports Commission. The organization was formed in 2001 to help bring high-profile sporting events to Denver. Matthew, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So why did Denver decide to make a bid for a World Cup seat? Um, Whose idea was it? How was the bid made? You know, it really started out as uh, this grassroots initiative kind of first, right? We had talked through um, a lot of different soccer communities, talked to Colorado Soccer Association, which has over 100,000 participants, and really just kind of went to them first and asked them about what this would mean for the state of Colorado. And of course, we got this great feedback and just a lot of energy back from them about how important this would be. So then you look at the economic part of it. Of course, that's what we typically look at through this office. So this is the, the largest sporting event in the world, and maybe it's the largest social event in the world. You know, For that tournament, there's three and a half billion viewers globally. And for perspective, the Super Bowl draws about 150 million global viewers. So it, it's, it's a massive event, no doubt. Um, you know, when you get a chance to be one of 16 different cities that kind of take on this whole tournament, it's, it's not really a lot to ask really for a city like ours that's really spent so much on infrastructure and so much investment into this city. It's not really a lot to ask for a city like us because we've, um, you know, we've got everything we need to host it. How, how did you make the case for that? What makes Denver such a good choice for an, a huge international event like this? You know, it's pretty simple. I, I think we are that kind of global city, right? A lot of investment's been made for, um, you know, improving the airport, improving our hotel scene, uh, improving our transportation to the different venues and into downtown. Um, and of course, we've got, uh, you know, perfect weather, especially in June and July. Um, we have 300 days of sunshine every year, so we, we of course, promote that quite a bit. Um, and as you mentioned before, we're, you know, centrally located. We're actually the only American city in the mountain time zone uh, that's in the competition. So we think that's an important uh, aspect of the bid process, especially when you look at the, uh, the TV uh, component of a, of a month-long tournament. We think it'd be important to have an American city in that mountain time zone. Well, you sort of mentioned the economic impact, and I wanted to just touch on that a little bit. Uh, if Denver were to, you know, to get a bid, how might this impact the business economy here? We know last summer's All-Star Game saw an increase in sales for restaurants and hotels. Uh, do you imagine we would see something similar? Are there any projections yet? Yeah, I think you would see something similar. I think you'd see it quite a bit more, actually. Uh, you know, Boston Consulting Group did um, an independent study on what it would be for a host city to take on uh, several matches uh, during the tournament. And they anticipated be about 360 million in new economic activity for a city of, of our size. And that, that actually may be on the low side 
just because um, that's the assumption of us hosting five World Cup matches. And there is a chance that we'd be hosting six matches uh, in Denver. So, you know, I think the World Cup allows us to utilize our existing investments, as I mentioned, in our venues, our hotels, and other infrastructure. Um, you know, local businesses will benefit from the increased foot traffic and the tourist spending generates increased tax revenue for residents to benefit really long after the event concludes. So kind of like the All-Star game, but times five or six, because there's multiple games. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, actually, I mean, I think one match is, it could even be more than uh, potentially the All-Star game. I mean, they there are some studies that say one match in the World Cup tournament is like hosting a Super Bowl. So if we're hosting five or six, uh, there's it's been mentioned of hosting five or six uh, Super Bowls. <laughs> now, many people might argue that the U.S. itself is an odd choice to be one of the three countries to host the 2026 World Cup, given that soccer isn't as popular as other sports here. Um, why do you think the U.S. deserves this seat? Well, you know, I think you can argue that the U.S. is the one that makes the most sense, really. I mean, it, it's been over 30 years since it was hosted in the U.S., and and the one in 1994 was, was the most commercially successful tournament in the history of the World Cup, even to today. Uh, but most importantly, it also helped to create Major League Soccer, right? So, you know, as far as popularity, um, you know, the Rapids have been around for 25 years in this market. And, and you look at the MLS overall, the viewership is up, the attendance is up. And, you know, there's communities all over the country that are lobbying for that next franchise of Major League Soccer. So, you know, there's there's more than 100,000, you know, youth and adult participants playing soccer in Colorado. Uh, I know in 2018 for the World Cup, I know Denver was the number 6 ranked US viewing market for the World Cup. So, I think it's I think it's a perfect timing I think for uh, the United States to host. We're talking with the executive director of the Denver Sports Commission, Matthew Payne. Matthew, I want to step back in time for a moment to the year 1976. Denver was awarded the Winter Olympics, then withdrew when voters rejected funding the game, citing financial and economic concerns. What went wrong there? And I'm wondering for any Denverites who might have the same concerns as back in 76, what would you say to convince them that hosting a, a major event like this is a good idea? Well, you know, I wasn't part of that process back back then. Like I said before, it's you know it was a long time ago, um, and I'm sure there were financial concerns at that time, just because I think there was a lot of unknowns in that version of the Olympics back then. But but this event is really completely different. Um, you know, instead of multiple sports across the region being played in multiple venues, uh, this is one sport, and uh, there's no infrastructure that has to be built for the tournament. So Denver's already got everything you need to host World Cup games. All we have to do now is just invite people from all over the world to come visit and experience what we all love about this city. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't forget that we've invested a lot already, you know, making the city equipped with all this excellent infrastructure, you know, the airport, the hotels, transportation. So now I think what we need to do is, you know, use those great assets that we that we get to use every day to attract this, you know, amazing economic generator, you know, for one month in uh, in the summer of 2026. Well, what do you hope is the outcome if Denver does in fact get to host some World Cup games? Uh, what will that ultimately bring to the city and the people here in, in Northern Colorado? Well, you know, my office focus 
uh, you know, is on events that bring in this economic benefit for the city. And there's no doubt that that's going to happen if we uh, if we are lucky enough to host uh, World Cup. But, you know, I, I always go back to, you know, kind of like what uh, Tim Howard said in that recent uh, press conference that he was a part of recently, you know, when he was 15 and saw the 94 World Cup, he was inspired to play the game of soccer. Right. So, you know, I don't think we're, we're trying to get several Tim Howards uh, to come out of this, but we are hoping that there's a, you know, thousands of kids that get inspired by the game, right? They get a chance to see these global superstars uh, here in, in, at their home stadium, you know? So we do hope that, um, you know, there's a lot of in inspiration involved to participate in sports, participate in soccer. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people all the time and they always relay back about their experience if they went to a you know a previous world cup and they always talk about it being the best sporting event they've ever been a part of you know there's so many different cultures involved so many different fans from all the different teams all over the all over the world um just a lot of energy and just kind of a, a different scope of a sporting event uh taking place so i'd like to think that you know, there's a lot of inspiration going on for a lot of the kids that get a chance to see these global superstars. So there, there will be a, a pretty large legacy component to this. You know, I think it'll be easy to see the economic benefit of it, but we got to make sure there's also that legacy component too, that there's something left behind for this area for, you know, decades. That was Executive Director of the Denver Sports Commission, Matthew Payne. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem at all. Enjoyed it. Thank you. our show for today. Tomorrow on Colorado Edition, we hear from veterans about how they're feeling now that the U.S. has withdrawn from the longest war in American history. And we'll revisit the stories of two veterans from World War II and the lasting legacy of their actions. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Thanks so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.